0: Welcome to the Film Situation Podcast.
1: I'm so happy to have Severine Rice on the Film Situation Podcast.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to be here.
1: So I guess give us a little bit of a background about yourself, a little intro.
0: Yeah, I'm Severine. I'm a filmmaker based here in New York City. My focus is directing, producing, but I also edit and write. I'm originally from Germany, as you can hear from my accent. I currently work for Christie's, direct and produce commercials, short documentaries, But I also have my own production company and direct and produce short films, music videos, and also have a few feature film scripts in progress right now.
1: How long have you been working for Christie's?
0: One and a half years. Yeah, almost two years now.
1: Are they keeping you busy over there?
0: They keep me very busy. Yeah. Constant creation of content.
1: And what sort of stuff are you doing over there? It could be like a, a priceless necklace that you have to... Film.
0: Totally. Yeah. That's so one of my content portfolios is actually luxury. So I make all the commercials for expensive jewelry items like million dollar rings and necklaces. Uh, but then we also produce commercials about fashion items like high-end sneakers, Chanel clothing. And then I also produce documentaries about artists and their personal stories, like where do they draw inspiration from? So I like that aspect of my job as well.
1: And how'd you first get interested in film and filmmaking?
0: Yeah, it's a little bit of a longer story. I was actually really involved with ballet when I was younger and I deferred my place to college for a few years but I always knew I had other interests and when I finally enrolled in college I had this professor who said that a lot of dancers are really good directors because they can think three-dimensionally. They have their own vision like when you choreograph you have a vision as well and so it's very similar to filmmaking actually. And she basically convinced me to take a filmmaking course. And yeah, from there it all started. I totally fell in love with it and did my bachelor's and master's in film, worked for a few production companies and then started making my own stuff as well eventually. Were
1: there any production companies that were noteworthy that were making known films or
0: one of them was a or is a big production company in Germany actually but I worked for their New York office it's called ARD Broadcasting probably no one here knows that it, but it's actually the biggest TV channel in Germany and they have their own office in New York as well where we produce content about what's happening in New York yeah
1: that's cool so growing up were you really into films and going to the movies and things like that
0: i would say i actually wasn't because i was so involved with ballet so it wasn't like your typical film nerd that would go to the movies every weekend simply because i spent so much time dancing and i knew pretty early on that i wanted to pursue it eventually So it's, you have to see it like an athlete training. So you train like every day for five, six hours outside of school. And so there's really not much time for anything else. But I always enjoyed going to the movies. It was always like a special feeling was like magic to me. And it was similar to seeing a performance on stage because you get to see what other people create. But now I, I look back and I regret a little bit not going To the movies more because i feel like i missed out on a few movies that i then watched in my 20s again and other people watched them in their teenage years
1: Uh, that's okay i think the joy of sometimes i'm envious of the joy of somebody discovering such a good film for the first time when they're they're like oh i've never seen this movie or that movie i've never seen that and that feeling of goodness of watching that movie for the first time Right. it becomes harder and harder as time goes by cuz there's great films that still come out but but it becomes more rare of that sort of life changingly good film
0: like a few epic movies that were popular in the 80s or 90s and i got to discover them later than everybody else <laughs> yeah
1: what about like german films were you would you watch them on tv would you ever do people And how, let me phrase the question this way. If somebody typically goes to the cinema in Germany, what's the percentage of films that are made in German, in the German language versus like American films or just foreign films in general?
0: That's a good question. I don't even know if I could answer it. I would have to look that up. But there's always a few German films in the theater. The majority are obviously your typical Hollywood films but then there's always one or two German films either independently produced or from a bit by a big production company sometimes by one of others Germany as well. One thing I also want to mention is though that a lot of films in Germany have different titles they don't have the English title they will translate it to German and sometimes it actually has a completely different name and Sometimes people ask me, have you watched that movie? And I don't even know because in German it might have had a completely different name. And then a lot of the American movies are dubbed as well, which I find a little bit disappointing. Because you grow up hearing an actor like with a dubbed... German voice, basically, like someone like John Travolta. Basically, I just covered his real voice in my 20s. <laughs> so that's a bit shocking, too. <laughs>
1: because it's the same actor. It's the same German voice actor. The always
0: same German voice actor. Or they pick someone that sounds similar. Yeah. But, yeah.
1: Yeah. I've heard that before. That's pretty funny. So let's talk a little bit about your own film. You made a short film that I watched called The Sieve. It was really powerful, really good film. We first met at the Yonkers Film Festival, Yofi Fest, right. yeah. and it's a festival I really enjoy. Was that
0: your first time out there? It actually wasn't my first time out there. I attended it a couple of years ago with my, I think my first short film ever made. They were very supportive with student films, and back then I attended Sarah Lawrence, so I thought it would be a good opportunity to send my film to the Yonkers Film Festival because it's close to Sarah Lawrence. And they've been, the organizers of the festival have been super supportive ever since. We've stayed in touch and it was great coming back a few years later.
1: And what did you study at Sarah Lawrence?
0: So Sarah Lawrence is a liberal arts college. So you study a little bit of everything, but you get to pick concentrations. And I eventually picked film as a concentration. But the focus at Sarah Lawrence was really on like writing, producing, directing. Yeah. Nice.
1: It's a great school. I know Jordan Peele went there.
0: Yeah, yeah, one of the most famous alumni. <laughs> I hear everyone say that. Oh, you went to the same school as Jordan Peele. Yeah. I'm
1: sure there's you other could... noteworthy ones. I just can't think of them.
0: Barbara Walters actually went there. Yeah, we lived in the same dorm I later found out.
1: Wow, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I used to, my parents live near Sarah Lawrence and I've been to the coffee shop slave to the grind many times. Oh
0: my gosh, yeah. It's a good Iconic coffee place. coffee shop. Iconic. <laughs> yeah, I guess there it for, is. It's for a, people a, in Bronxville. <laughs> oh, that's
1: true. For people in Bronxville. But yeah, I like the movie theater in Bronxville. I've seen many films there over the years. And so let's talk about Deceived. I guess tell the audience. What it's about.
0: Deceive is, if I were to describe it in one sentence, it's about encouraging abuse survivors to find strength after abuse. So it's about a ballerina from Brazil who comes to New York to pursue her dreams. And she then gets to know someone who, at first glance, seems very charming, but actually turns out to be quite manipulative. And it's about her coping with the aftermath of abuse and dealing with trauma. And the main character uses dance to escape reality. So really it's about a survivor story from her own perspective. And it also uses dance to move the story forward. So it has some of my dance background incorporated in the film as well.
1: I really liked, I, I really liked the film a lot. I liked, I liked how you opened it up with illustrations actually.
0: Oh, thank you. <laughs>
1: and then when the first, shot of the live action portion started actually i wasn't sure if it was a documentary or Interesting. not yeah that a lot. yeah, and but i like that about it because at first you're almost orienting yourself to the story you're like is this a documentary because you hear the voiceover mm-hmm. and it could be for all intensive purposes the way that a documentary starts right and uh, yeah i like the cinematography a lot and it was a powerful story H- hard to watch at times i by design of course because you're experiencing things that the character is experiencing so that's you're feeling empathy for the character at least i found that that's how i felt
0: oh yeah i it's great that's what i hope people would film but it has their own interpretation of things and that's also why there's not so much dialogue i really wanted to have the pictures the the emotions of the act- actress speak for themselves and so people can come to their own conclusions of what maybe happened or what didn't happen.
1: I'm so happy you mentioned this because that's something that I was going to, we're going to talk about later on as well. We're going to touch upon this topic when we get to the second portion of the podcast, where we started talking about film scenes that are powerful. But I think right. that's a, that's an important notion in general. And I gave your film a second watch and I was paying attention to that. And I think that's something that I don't want to say is lost today, but it could become lost on some newer filmmakers about how the visuals should really drive the narrative you shouldn't just rely on dialogue so I thought you did a really good job with that it's
0: always a show don't tell and that's why what I love about dance as well you get to express things with movement and with filmmaking it's you express it with images but films are moving images so right. um, I kind of that too hard, and I'm glad that you liked my movie because we discussed earlier that you have a hard time with musicals. I
1: and- so I do, and but I have a hard time with musicals really for the specific reason that a lot of times it just takes me out of the world, the movie. Now with your film. It was centered on music and dance, so okay. it it made sense. It never felt like, oh, what is going on at this point? I'm
0: so glad because I was I, when you said when you mentioned that, I was like, OK, I hope it didn't take him out of the world because there's essentially three big dance scenes. But I wanted those scenes to to say something and to move the story forward. And I wanted to stay close to the character as well. But because of my background, obviously, I also pay attention to The craft of dance and want to make it look nice and so i hope it doesn't feel too performative and i hope it still stays true to the world that my character lives in
1: oh no it absolutely did and yeah i've seen a lot of short films that center on dance and some of them are just they just look like a dance video (laughs) no
0: and it's also interesting when you go to festivals and you see how your film is grouped with other films And I consider my film to be narrative rather than a dance film, actually, because sometimes when you're grouped with dance films, there's a bunch of films that just show a choreography filmed from different angles, which I appreciate as well. I think that's great and it can look incredibly beautiful. But also I want people to know that dance can be used as a storytelling tool, same way as Musical numbers used as a storytelling tool, or singing is used. And my film has a beginning, middle, and end. So there's this narrative arc as well.
1: Absolutely. No, it's absolutely a narrative film for sure. Tell us a little bit. I like the cinematography, by the way, oh, thank as well. You. <laughs> How was it working with the cinematographer? I had actually looked them up. Yeah. And I realized that I'd seen actually some films that he's right. done yeah. before.
0: Yeah, he's actually pretty well known. And I was very lucky that I was able to work with him together on on the short film. I knew that I wanted someone who was able to show my vision. And so I, I reached out to different cinematographers and I actually sent him my pitch deck and I was really happy when he said, okay, let's talk about this. How can we make this work? So Wolfgang is an Emmy-winning cinematographer. He's also German-American like me. He also shot The Neighbor's Window, which won the Oscar in, I believe, 2019. He just shot the Warhol Diaries on Netflix, for which he also got nominated for an Emmy. That was
1: really good as well. Um,
0: And he shot a lot of documentaries and features, like narrative features as well. And I like that because I feel like my film is a mixture of, it's a narrative fiction film, but it has a little bit of this documentary feel to it. And so I, I wanted a cinematographer who's capable to to bring both of these elements together the narrative and the documentary aspect and he's just incredibly talented and to me he's like a genius of cinematography but also so down to earth and he just he's one of the fastest cinematographers that I also worked with he will just come to set and look at like where's the light how can I frame it and then gets to work right away and basically paints with lights
1: (laughs) That's so good. Especially about the speed that becomes so important as you, as I've learned the hard way.
0: For sure. Yeah, of course, from a logistical perspective as well. But I also admire like his passion. He'll just, he looks at the scene and he's okay, how can we tell the story visually? How can we make it look nice? And he gets so almost obsessed with filming and with cinematography. And I just, yeah, I admire that that passion and that drive in in all artists really and so i like to work with people like that
1: i feel like it's climb it's a lot of times when you're making a film i always say it, it's like climbing mount everest every single time <laughs> oh
0: my god totally yeah i know <laughs> so
1: wolfgang his last name is
0: wolfgang Held. Yeah,
1: wolfgang Held. Yeah. yeah it does sound very german <laughs>
0: right <laughs> Yeah, he's from Germany. He's also a member of the Academy now and a member of the ASC. He just did a feature documentary with a well-known German filmmaker, Markus Wiese. And I think he also just got nominated for Best Cinematography from the ASC. (laughs) Like
1: similar sort of accents, would you say? Yes, yes. Very similar sort of accents. Could you tell where people are from, depending on when they talk, like you could tell if somebody's Bavarian or not. Or oh, something. for
0: sure. Yeah. Okay. You can tell right away. I think in my state, people tend to say that we don't have accents. We speak what it's so-called Oh, there's little nuances as well.
1: Deutsch. What is that? Like clean German? It's
0: like clean German. Okay, <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Bavarian is almost like, maybe I would compare it to Scottish. Okay. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah.
1: So pretty cool. So I guess, tell us a little bit about your process your, what was your preparation like as a director? Are you a person that makes storyboards or shot lists? Or, yeah. Let's I'm, go into that a little bit, your pre-pro, pre-production process.
0: I'm definitely a very visual person, and I feel like I have to have an image in my head. And so I start off with storyboards. I like Previs Pro a lot. I'm actually not the greatest like painter or drawer myself. <laughs> so what I appreciate about Previs Pro is you can just put digital figures in in your storyboard and then frame it the way you want you can pick the lenses that you want to use so I definitely do that before going on set I feel like I I need to know like what shots we will use how it's going to look like but then I also it's important to me to always allow room for flexibility I just like to be prepared So I feel like I can direct people the best way. But then I'm also totally open to collaborate with other people and get their input when we are on set. And if something that I thought would work doesn't work, then we'll try something differently. And to me, it's very important to work together closely with the cinematographer. Also on work at Christie's, I do that all the time. I think it's not so good when you start to control everything. Then everyone on set, actually from the pa to to the gaffer cinematographer they need to have a voice and then you all work towards the same vision i just want to make sure that everyone knows what that vision is and that everyone is passionate about the product
1: i like that yeah and that's so true listen nobody likes to be micromanaged
0: exactly yeah
1: i know i certainly don't and that's that's a big reason that i don't have a boss.
0: No, I definitely understand that. I hear that from other cinematographers all the time, too, where they're like, oh, but now I need to do it, need to do this shot. And every little move that I make gets micromanaged. And I don't think that's the best way to work.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that attracted me to film is that it is such a collaborative medium. But when you're first starting out, I remember when I was first starting out, it was it took some practice navigating that sort of creative collaboration because i remember oh, one sure. time being yeah. on a set and people were like i have an idea i have an idea i was like yeah. stop I was like, right. I was like if anybody has an idea talk to me about it. pull me off to the side i want to hear your ideas but at least from an from actors standpoint they want a direction coming from one single person definitely you
0: know? i understand that and that's where i like to be prepared because i feel like you As a filmmaker and director, you need to be a great manager as well. Like you need to make other people feel heard, but at the same time, you can't just have this big (laughs) conversation because otherwise you just never get something done. So you have to see how you can lead people. It's very interesting to manage different personalities as well. And over the course of time, you find your people, you see who you can work well with and who fits in your little film bubble and yeah, because your personalities need to match as well.
1: Yeah, that's 100% true. I think I saw a documentary once and the actor James Kahn was in it. And he was like, a good director. And I was like, what is he going to say? I was like, he's going to say the most profound thing ever. I was like, <laughs> let me pay attention. He's like, a good director is a good supervisor. <laughs>
0: oh my, god, that is so true. So it's
1: kind of what you're just saying.
0: And honestly, that's one thing I learned at Christie's over the past two years because I'm on set every week and of course we're not creating these long documentaries it's just always it's shorter commercials or shorter documentaries but you always have to work together with a lot of people there's always a crew of 10 to 20 people there and I learned okay I really need to be able to manage these people well and otherwise it's a mess on set and I learned from bad experiences too where there were too many people involved also it's interesting to see when someone is in a bad mood how it can affect everyone right so you yes. gotta make sure that everyone is stays excited <laughs> that's so true
1: oh my god that's so true that that's why i learned early on too that it's not just about the talented people especially when you're pairing up with the cinematographer for instance because yeah, yeah. that's such an important collaboration between the director and the cinematographer and the production designer too but it's so crucial that i was like let me find somebody that is good but also, that I'm going to get along with.
0: Sure. And that's one thing I will also have to say about Wolfgang. Although he's so successful and established, he would always listen to me and make me feel heard, which I really appreciated. Like, he's really much more concerned about the art than any awards. And yeah. he's a great collaborator as well. And these are the people that I want to continue working with. I also had a different experience on other sets where. As a young woman, I feel like some other cinematographers, funnily enough, not as established, didn't make me feel hurt and had their ego come out and it very quickly I realized, okay, this is not someone I can collaborate with in the future because he's simply not open to collaborating
1: that could happen. yeah that happened to me even early on when you just have somebody that's a little bit more established, they right. think that they okay. know what they're doing a little mm-hmm. bit more and then they, Think that they could try to steamroll over your, exactly. you and your ideas? No, that's not going to happen.
0: It's usually not the most experienced people. It's like people with a little more experience, yeah, yes. on the same level, and then but they think they know it all. That's so true. Yeah, it's yeah. not good to work with them. They need yeah. to learn how to navigate that space. So,
1: sometimes I think it's good to have those experiences early on. It's almost like having a bad relationship early on in your life, because then you know it's what to
0: like that. <laughs> yeah. And you learn so much from it.
1: You learn so much and then you learn to see those red flags right away. And I think just experiences in general in your field only help you get stronger.
0: Then it also teaches you like how you want to be like, because if you see how someone acts and it's, it doesn't set a good example for your crew, you can learn from that and you can see, okay, this is not how I want to lead a team and this is not how, that's not the expre- impression I want to make on a director or a producer.
1: How so how many films have you made as far as narrative films?
0: As far as narrative, I, I guess I, it depends on what you count, like my own personal films for my yeah. own production company, maybe seven short films, something like that.
1: Nice. Yeah. Are you planning on doing a feature anytime soon?
0: Yeah, I actually, so Deceive is a proof of concept for feature. And also one lesson I learned with this short is sometimes it's good to take a step away from it. I took a step away from the editing for a few months and it it really helped me afterwards. I came back to it and knew what I wanted to change. And it's the same with this feature. I took a step away from it for a few months. And now I feel like I am able to finesse the script more. The script is already there, but it needs to be edited a little bit. And then I'm also working on a treatment for a feature documentary that I hope to make.
1: Nice. Are you allowed to talk about that at all? Or you want to keep that under wraps? I
0: can say a little bit about it. It's my films deal with timely issues in society, but also they impart on emotions that are held by people worldwide. And so the documentary is a bit about this and also my own journey, my own experiences. I have, I had two very good friends in school in England that inspire this documentary. One is Russian, one is Ukrainian. And essentially it's about it's about the war that currently is in Ukraine and how it affects millennials, Ukrainian millennials, as well as Russian millennials. That's all I'm going to say right now. And I hope it humanitizes people.
1: Okay, cool. Sounds exciting. And I guess where do you hope to see yourself, let's say like in five years or so, you want to just be writing and directing feature films
0: that's the my hope and dreams obviously and i think it's the goal of a lot of people who studied film you always want to make a feature but more than that i think i just i want to make content that inspires people in one way or another whether it's a commercial a short film a music video i just hope it can touch someone in profound ways
1: nice and let's talk a little bit about the film festival experience so it has deceived been to a bunch of film festivals at this point? or
0: Yeah, it's gotten selected to several film festivals and it started out when COVID was still a thing. So some of these festivals were online. So like the Paris Art and Movie Film Festival actually was there a few years ago with another film of mine. And then it, yeah, because of COVID, it happened to be online. Not a huge fan of online festivals, I have to say. But then it also got screened at the New York Shorts Film Festival, which was great, just being able to see my film with a crowd of people, the Yonkers Film Festival. And I think it's important to see your film with with an audience there because you you want to know, okay, how are they reacting to this scene, to this little moment? And yeah. from there, sometimes I heard of people who actually changed their edit based on that. And I feel like I, I wish I would have had that experience a little early on in the process where we could have screened it with an audience rather than just screening it online
1: to me that's the greatest feeling as a filmmaker just screening it and having an audience react to it and it's interesting because i've experienced the same film but with different audiences reacting in different ways like them not laughing at any moment some of them really laughing at a lot of them each crowd i guess it's like when comedians play for different crowds like crowd is different but i've noticed that and it's actually interesting
0: yeah for sure i noticed that too there were people laughing in at one of my scenes i was like oh that's interesting (laughs) and then another audience was just like completely quiet yeah
1: yeah yeah that happens so i guess let's go into talking about let's go into the second portion of the podcast where we ask each guest ahead of time to talk about two of their favorite movie scenes we should probably call this segment there will be spoilers <laughs>
0: right True.
1: la la land directed by damien chazelle and let's talk about that film for a second
0: yeah it had such an impact on me when i first saw it because i actually got quite emotional in a few scenes and I agree with you on musicals sometimes some scenes can feel a little performative but the, with this film, I also felt like it all contributed to the storyline and was just so beautifully done, the cinematography and also just the story of these two people really impacted me. Like They had such great love for each other, but essentially they had to split up in order to pursue their dreams. Um, And that's maybe why the last scene impacted me so much. I actually remember... Seeing it on a plane the first time, like such a random place to watch a movie. I've Uh, seen
1: many films on a plane before.
0: But yeah, actually, I started crying and just like tears pouring down. Like sometimes I get very emotional on planes. It's weird. No idea why. Yeah.
1: I guess it's just, yeah, that high altitude. (laughs) (laughs) The perspective that you have on life. I don't know. (laughs) Probably, yeah. I had one time I was on a plane and. I think I might have just said hi to the person next to me. This was like 10, 15 years ago. And she was like, oh, hi, blah, blah, blah. But at some point when the plane, there was like major turbulence. Oh, geez. Like, like turbulence. incredible turbulence yeah. where I think the people thought the plane was going down. Oh, like just, It seemed like it was doing a swan oh, dive. Gosh. And she just grabbed my arm. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then she was like, I'm so sorry about that. I was like, no, it's okay. I'm sure that's common. Like maybe if somebody thinks that they're dying, they just... Of
0: course, you want some sort of comfort. Yeah, I guess. Yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) but it was intense. I was just telling myself that I was like, whatever happens, it's going to happen. It's going (laughs) to happen. It's going to happen instantly.
0: (laughs) Let me just watch this last movie.
1: So La La Land, it's with Ryan Gosling and Emma... Emma Stone, right? right? Yeah. She was really good. I made mean, I like her in pretty much everything that I see. I loved mm-hmm. her in Birdman. I first saw her in Superbad. Obviously, yeah, Ryan it. Gosling. I I knew, I first saw him in a movie called The Believer that came out in the year 2000.
0: And it was a small yeah, independent film.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was a small independent film. And he wasn't well known at the time. But I was like, wow, this guy is such a good actor that I could picture him becoming really big time and sure enough he did so it was no surprise because right. he really is a phenomenal actor so the film centers on emma stone who she's working at a, as a barista in a coffee mm-hmm. shop you know ryan gosling who is a struggling jazz musician and jazz is really important in his life and i like how they first meet each other in traffic like she gives them the finger right i thought that was interesting and then yeah about this sort of romance but then they Spoiler, they don't really end up together. And she's with somebody else last scene, and they go and he finds success, not quite in what he's doing for a while as a touring musician. And that sort of contributed to them drifting apart because he was always on the road. And now, by the end of the movie, she goes to this jazz club with her husband and is actually seeing Ryan Gosling perform. And It was a really cool sequence because it sort of triggers this memories of the life that could have been.
0: Right. Yeah. I think that's why it was so impactful for me because they both accomplished the dreams that they want to accomplish. They just couldn't do it in their relationship. They had to separate. But then still, they had just such great chemistry and love for each other. And then seeing what their life could have been like, it just. Makes you really emotional. And again, it's interesting because there's no dialogue. It's just pictures, just music. And the way it's filmed, it's just very touching. And then the final close ups, when they look at each other, there's just so much communicated in the way they look at each other, in the way they nod at each other. It's like acknowledging, okay, we both did it. We still have respect for each other. And again, like it's just how it's filmed, how it's framed, what music is used, and it can have such an impact
1: absolutely yeah and i agree with those emotions and of why they're both such strong performers because they're communicating volumes without saying a single word
0: exactly yeah it's just how they look at each other they also have great chemistry on screen i think they were definitely the right pick for this movie because there's such like great mutual respect and the way they interact on screen together it just seems very authentic and natural
1: Emma Stone, I find she has a very I was thinking about this because sometimes I I try to analyze things from what makes this person so good. What is it Mm -hmm. like? Obviously, she's good, but what makes her at that next level of, Mm -hmm. you know, why she's one of the top picks on all these films? And I was like, no doubt. One of the reasons why is she has such a expressive smile. Like,
0: that's true yeah she does yeah i never thought about it that's she silly.
1: could smile in different ways and it means different things it was just i was like wow like this is actually kind of impressive
0: yeah that's interesting analyzing the little things what makes a person good at what they're doing
1: yeah she's a strong performer even since the first time i saw her in a movie like i said was super bad i think yeah
0: and, i saw that movie too
1: but she's really become like the top of the a-list right mm-hmm. and it's yeah like Birdman was also great as well. Did you right. see that film?
0: I didn't actually. Oh, know.
1: you have to see that. Yeah, she was also in
0: that. the favorite, right?
1: I didn't see that. Yeah, although well, that was I'll pretty watch, good too. I'll watch it. I a almost a
0: lot of fish eye angles. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yeah. is
1: that a good thing or a bad thing?
0: Some people say it's good. Some people say it's bad. <laughs>
1: That's a very diplomatic answer. I'm going to make a. I want somebody to keep a on like an ongoing list of all the movies referenced in this podcast in general
0: oh my gosh yeah and then you they need to watch it
1: (laughs) yeah it would just be cool to have it on the website like every episode like what movies like just have a list of movies like in any sort of way
0: that's interesting yeah showing film history right there
1: okay so anything else that you want to mention about la la land before we move on to the next sort of thing had you seen whiplash damien chazelle's first film
0: I I saw it after actually because I did a little bit of research on Damien Chazelle because I liked that film so much and I later found out that he did a short film before Whiplash and I watched the short film as well and it's interesting so much of the short film is in the feature film in Whiplash so I followed his career a little bit and I think it's great that he doesn't stick to one genre he did first man afterwards it's still a drama like la la land is also a drama but it's they're very different and yeah but i just i think it's great how versatile he is as a director and how he did whiplash after the short the short was a proof of concept for it so it's a director that i definitely look up to
1: Do you ever do you ever watch films and like wonder another actor if they would have been good in that role
0: Totally, actually, with Whiplash, because I thought that the actor in the short film was really great too. Actually, the teacher stayed the same, the actor who portrayed the teacher, but the yeah. actor who portrayed the student, they switched him out, and I thought both actors were great, the one in the feature and in a short. But I was wondering about that, like why did they do it? They certainly wanted to have a more well-known actor, I think. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I thought Miles Teller was really good in the feature. I hadn't seen the short, although I'd heard about it from people in the grapevine, because mm-hmm. they said it was really strong.
0: Yeah, it definitely
1: was. I think Shia LaBeouf could have been good in the feature in the Miles Teller.
0: I can see that. Yeah.
1: Because he has that sort of intensity. Like, especially at that time, like his age at that time, like eight, nine years ago when it was Mm -hmm. being filmed. Like he still had a little bit more of that youthful kind of Mm innocence. Also, he could have done that intensity. Like I was like picturing, I was like, he could have been really good in that role as well. I wonder if he was in the running
0: it maybe yeah eventually directors have to make a decision <laughs> unfortunately but yeah I, I wonder that sometimes as well yeah who would be good for this
1: and i'm also thinking about this because i've been reading tarantino's book about cinema that just came
0: out oh, i need to read that it just came out
1: it just came out oh, it's wow. really okay. good and so he talks about all these different movies that were like foundational for him like growing up in the 1970s and he has this whole chapter like you'll have chapters on different movies and there's a chapter on the steve mcqueen movie getaway
0: Oh, okay.
1: And he really goes into depth of the time. I read the book and I didn't think Ali McGraw should have been casting that character because she was so <laughs> different in the book. But over time, I really started to appreciate what she brought to the table and she was really good in the performance. It was just really different mm-hmm. from the character in the novel. Because, but who the person that played the villain so that should have been an different guy and they were thinking about casting that guy and they he really goes in depth oh, into it yeah, interesting. yeah. No, it's I super interesting all
0: sorts of discussion
1: and not just into it like he wrote a letter to walter hill oh, the screenwriter <laughs> and he's like what do you think of it and then walter hill agreed he's to my surprise walter hill agreed with me yeah and it was actually it was really interesting that for a guy that like he's had such a successful career but mm. he's obsessing over these <laughs> oh, films from gosh. back in the day and how they might have turned out differently
0: but I find that
1: to be fascinating because that's part of his process, like him asking such questions, no doubt had a, like an influence then on his own work on how he should make casting decisions or anything along those lines.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's actually really important to analyze films like that. Also, not only the acting, but also how it was framed, how the script was and I also think you can learn from everything like so, even if I sometimes watch a feature or documentary I actually saw a documentary this week that I didn't particularly I'm not going to say like yeah, <laughs> what the documentary was
1: Could you at least say like what you didn't like about it?
0: Yeah, it was repetitive. I feel like some of the same elements got established over and over again and also the filmmaker wanted the audience to come to an to a conclusion and you could feel that his point of view was enforced on the audience and i didn't like that particularly yeah
1: i don't like when it's heavy-handed like that either because then it borders on sort of propaganda
0: exactly yeah it felt like that it felt like propaganda in a way like it was about someone telling their story and basically it was clear that he just wanted to people to come to the same conclusion that yeah the same opinion the filmmaker had and but i was like okay i can actually learn a lot from this especially like the repetitive elements i was like okay this is something you need to avoid you need to bring constantly new things new input to the story and also don't make the audience feel like like propaganda is being done to them
1: totally i'm curious was it a standalone documentary or was it one of these things on like streaming where it's like multiple Episodes.
0: No, it was a standalone documentary.
1: Yeah. Wow.
0: But if, I feel like it could have been done in 20 minutes and it was one and a half hours.
1: Yeah, because I've definitely been seeing a trend of that. Like on streaming, they're really pushing for documentaries to be numerous parts, like right. three, four yeah. parts. And I'm yeah. like, this could totally have been done in yes. half the amount of time for sure yeah. they're dragging it out just because they want to make it like episodic or whatever right.
0: i have the same feeling about a lot of series as well where i feel like they keep going and i feel like you have to realize when the end is there <laughs> because otherwise you destroy the series not in a good way you just kind of honor that this is where you should leave it
1: Do you watch a lot of documentaries in general?
0: I started watching them more in the past couple of years. Before that, I was just really into narrative, narrative all the way. But I think because of my work at Christie's where I tell stories about artists or collections, I became more intrigued by it. And then also the cinematographer that I worked with had an influence on me because he's so involved in the documentary world. So I started watching them more in the past years. And yeah, I enjoy them, became more intrigued by them. And I see what their well value is more so than I did a few years ago. I think coming straight out of film school, you're obsessed with making narrative fiction films.
1: Definitely. What are some of your favorite documentaries?
0: Some of my favorite documentaries. Oh, geez. It's one that I really like. It's an animated documentary. The
1: animated document, Yeah, That's it's
0: really interesting. I would encourage you to look at And it's that. about fleas? No, it's actually about someone. It's about the war and someone's personal experience coming to Denmark. And he's an immigrant. But yeah, I just, I, the way, even though it's documentary, it feels so personal and I... Yeah, I don't want to say too much. I feel like you need okay. to watch I'm, it. <laughs>
1: okay, I'm going to watch it, especially if you give it that hard of a recommend.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: My favorite documentary is Dogtown and Z-Boys.
0: Oh, interesting. What is it's is a, it's
1: a, It's weird because I'm not even a skateboarder, but it's a documentary about these skateboarders in the 1970s and oh, how really that became popular. But it's just so well made and it's so interesting. Oh,
0: I think we talked about this at the Yonkers Film Festival oh, we? because we saw another documentary about that's
1: right yes yeah yeah and there was a couple of folks from humanity Stoke. like there was a couple of cameos from the dogtown skaters and exactly. that
0: yeah i bet because he had like such well-known figures in the skate world in his documentary
1: yeah okay now we're going to talk about the second film which is a recent film the fablemans which just won the golden globe actually
0: oh that's right yeah, yeah.
1: and steven spielberg's new movie and he's called it his most autobiographical film. So I guess I'll let you say more about it.
0: Yeah, when I heard about it, I also immediately heard that it was supposed to be about his life. And so I knew that I had to watch it as a filmmaker. You want to know how did other filmmakers grow up? What inspired them? And um, essentially, as you said earlier, it's the love letter to filmmaking. There are so many scenes that show how powerful filmmaking is. And actually it was hard for me to pick one scene that I really liked. But again, spoiler alert here, (laughs) the scene that I picked is the one where Sammy finds out that his mom is actually in love with someone else. And you, like when you see the film, I feel like you notice it earlier on that this relationship is blooming. (laughs) Like the one between his mom and his dad's friend. And it's interesting because you think about like why do I think this and it's just because of these little moments like essentially the moments that Sammy discovers he has on tape that he captured himself it's the way they look at each other the way they interact with each other and then it makes you think okay there's not some like big revelation there like the mom's not oh my gosh I love you it's just how they look at each other and then it makes you think about how important it is to frame something in a good way. And like how important these little moments are.
1: It's so true. And I loved how he's editing an eight millimeter film. Right. Yeah. The context of the story is his dad bought him this editing machine so he could edit a like this eight millimeter film video of the grandmother had passed away. It was the mom's mom so she's mourning at this time and the father said listen i know you're busy with some other project but could you spend some time making this kind of montage or like like camping video?" and sammy's doing this to help his mom who's mourning and then what you said it before like scenes without dialogue just like the whole visuals of him just editing it and just in the same way that us as the audience discover there's some sort of chemistry between the mother and the friend character played by Seth Rogen, Sammy's discovering. right? And he's playing back the film, he's noticing it, and he's just playing it back over and over again. And it's so impactful, like super impactful. And it's really brings you into his world. And yeah, it's incredible, actually.
0: Yeah, and it, I also feel like the movie does a really great job at showing what a director actually does. I have a lot of friends that are involved in the film industry, but if you talk to people who actually don't know a lot about filmmaking, they might not actually know what a director does. This movie really shows how important directing is and how po- powerful it can be if done in a correctly.
1: Yeah, no, it was it was it was incredible. I really love the film in general. And another spoiler alert: (laughs) my favorite scene of the film i've loved the whole film in general but really loved the ending oh
0: my god i see this is i was deciding between that or the ending i knew you were gonna say that you probably mean like the horizon line thing yes they adjusted at the very last moment right before the credits come in yeah you see him walking on the street and he just got the advice from his mentor how important the horizon line is and you see how sammy is being filmed right now and then you see the camera just slowly going up
1: was that david lynch playing that director that's incredible i was so happy to see him i
0: just researched it afterwards
1: he was so good at it it made
0: him crazy he was a great actor like how could wow he has another talent
1: okay so to give some context listen if you're listening to this portion (laughs) you've probably seen the film hopefully and because we're totally spoiling it but sammy's character is sitting and for basically right after his first job interview at a film studio, at, where I think he would be working in a TV show, Hogan's Heroes, which was an actual show, the person interviewing him was like, Do you want to meet one of the greatest filmmakers of all time? And the way it's set up, you almost think it's going to be somebody not that serious or somebody that's a joke of a filmmaker. And at least that's. It seems like also how that the actor played it too. Hey, okay, whatever, who is it going to be? Like, it's he's excited and it's cool, but he doesn't seem like he's expecting much from it. And then when he's sitting there in the office and he's waiting for the secretary, he's like, okay, he'll be in in a couple of minutes. He's looking around the room and he's looking at the posters and it's John Ford, who was one of the greatest American filmmakers to that point. And then he sees like the poster for the Searchers and the man who shot Liberty Vance. And then John Ford walks in and like with his eye patch and all rough and played by David Lynch. He's like, all right, kid, come in. (laughs) It was just it was a brilliant scene. Like you, anybody has to watch the film. But I thought I was stunned by David Lynch's performance. I thought he crushed it. Yeah,
0: me too. Again, I didn't realize that it was him until after, until I did some research on this movie and I was mind blown. And it's like, also he portrays this director as such a character, you know? Such
1: a character. I heard he was a character like that.
0: Probably, I I believe it. If Steven Spielberg showed the scene like that, I'm sure it must have had some impact on him, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. I wonder how autobiographical this film was like did steven spielberg meet john ford in that sort of way did steven spielberg have that kind of thing happen with his mom or i
0: was gonna research that too i'm curious about that because this and i didn't expect this to be such a strong storyline in the film actually i thought it would be even more about Steven Spielberg's experience of finding his way in the film industry or starting to get interested in film. So I was surprised to see the parents have such a strong story arc in it as well i loved that i thought it was great i just i wonder if that really happened like that it's also so personal
1: yeah but yeah certainly a good choice and i'm so happy that you inspired me to see that movie it was already on my list and i was already going to get around to it like i mentioned before we went on the podcast one thing i enjoy about doing this podcast is it's forcing me to watch more movies than or as much movies as i should because i should be watching a lot of movies. No,
0: for sure. When you told me that I had to pick two scenes, I immediately was like, okay, this is actually a really great exercise. And I always want to force myself to watch more movies because sometimes I get so hung up in my work and this and that. And then I'm not up to date, but you really need to be aware of what's out there and you need to seek inspiration from other filmmakers. Oh, you
1: need to. Espe- especially in this art form, in cinema, film is... It's just to borrow from other films exactly
0: yeah unlike
1: other art forms like it's like heavily encouraged Scorsese does it Tarantino does like, it everybody he, he does he it even
0: Chazelle too with La La Land he borrowed from a lot of those older musicals and I think the 30s 20s and yeah.
1: I like how even he did those montages of like when the drinks are being poured, or mm-hmm. when you'd see like an image superimposed on like the montage sequences where she's going to the party and that kind of thing. And I thought that was super cool.
0: No, for sure, I love how he brought that back because I, I sometimes miss that in newer movies, like those that that editing style and then also the costumes, obviously. Yeah, again, like a love letter to maybe old Hollywood, <laughs> Hollywood musicals.
1: Yeah, I, it's such it's weird because it's such a little moment in the film in La La Land but the scene where he picks her up and they drive (laughs) down the street and then like you hear just like in the background the woman's voice you're going the wrong way (laughs) and then like you just see his car like reversing like up the street so then a truck is then Dri- like drive mm-hmm. on that one way i thought that was just a cool little cinematic moment
0: true yeah i love that scene too yeah
1: i think that's so important and just one thing i wanted to ask that we didn't really get to before was in your own career like before you started directing movies did you have anybody mentor you that gave you advice that was like a more like experienced director did you learn everything trial by error or did you, did you read up on other directors like was there any advice given to you
0: I feel like I've gotten advice from like a bunch of people in the filmmaking industry, like throughout my years in college or even at other production companies. I'm trying to think of one profound moment right now. I don't think it's as profound as the moment Steven Spielberg <laughs> experienced, but again, yeah. like maybe, like my first directing professor, the way she got me interested in film, I feel like if it wasn't for her, I, might not be where I am right now and just tell and also and once, who is that
1: professor Give uh, Maggie
0: Greenwald she's actually a well-known director as well she also sounds fun, familiar actually. she just directed a couple of episodes for Madam Secretary for Nashville a few years ago and she did her own feature films as well she actually worked together with my cinematographer Wolfgang Held which I later found out like when I first that, met him he was that was like, just
1: coincidental it was
0: just coincidental he was like yeah I, I did I shot one of Maggie these first feature film. so it's interesting like full circle
1: (laughs) it's it is funny how things come full circle and I always say it's such a small industry it's
0: such a small industry yeah for sure but the advice she gave me was don't be afraid and just do it basically because I was like from my background being German and then in the dance world people really Germans I feel like they like want to be prepared and they don't say that they know something if they don't, which can be a good thing as well. But sometimes you just really have to be open to something new. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I should try filmmaking. I really know nothing about it. But she was like, yeah, because of your background, I think you, you'll be good at it and really don't be afraid and just try it. And so I feel like I took that with me. And even with my first short films, I just went out and try to not overthink it and that's something i miss sometimes now because now i'm like more trained in filmmaking i know more about it but then you start overthinking stuff right you just you don't go out and just film something that you like anymore you're like i know
1: you mean there's that sort of paralysis of analysis and I was, I at some point I was looking at my early short film. So it's like, oh, in a way, I was so much more freer back then because I right. didn't know yeah. anything. So I would just grab my camera and just do any sort of funky thing. I didn't care if there was a dynamic range issue between the light in <laughs> yeah. the background and the light in the foreground. I just would grab totally the shot. Like that, yeah. And now it's you want to make sure everything's good and pristine and this. And that. sometimes something gets lost in doing that. Yeah. I was watching Scorsese's one of his for earlier films called Mean Streets which is one of my favorite Scorsese films in general he's done so many great ones but I noticed that too like on Mean Streets there was something there was a sort of energy about the film that he was being experimental with certain things or like certain jump cuts and certain techniques that I was like that's like super cool what he was doing
0: right and I feel like you gotta be experimental because you need to learn as well if you keep everything the same then there's no growth
1: It's so important. I think about that all the time. And I think that for me, and actually one thing I loved about The Fablemans is that you could tell that Steven Spielberg was like highly concerned about putting the magic into his filmmaking. He's like, how's that gonna gonna visually be like a spectacle and like really interesting? And I know this is a topic that I discuss a lot on the podcast, but kind of a philosophy that I have in general, because we're living in a time where people watch YouTube. There's so much content in general. Right. So my mentality is, why does this justify being a film? Is this cinema? Why should it be cinema versus like a YouTube video or just something like that? And I think like putting a little bit of that magic into it, it, that sort of how did they pull that off kind of thing? I think that's something at least that I aspire to do more and more.
0: For sure. And that's why I came out of the movie and felt so inspired. I feel like it reminded me of why I fell in love with filmmaking in the first place. And I want to take that with me in my career.
1: I love that. Now, Severine, could where could people follow along with what you're doing? Are
0: you on social media? Yes, I'm on social media. On my Instagram, actually, you'll see a lot of my work in the film industry i try to post quite a bit of behind the scenes as well i love behind the scenes stuff and then my own website obviously
1: and what is your instagram handle and um, website
0: just a very boring SeverinRice.com and my instagram is severine underline rice
1: perfect yeah. i'm so happy that you were on the podcast and yeah really enjoyed this, this conversation
0: was great conversation very interesting again i feel inspired <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Film Situation Podcast.